0: All right, guys, uh, today on Leadership to Wealth, we've got a special guest as always. We've got Dr. Ian Brooks, who happens to be an organizational expert, a uh, psychologist, actually, uh, organizational, industrial. Today's show, he's going to talk a lot about change and dealing with change uh, within organizations. But not just that, he gets really into managing that change within ourselves looking looking at himself he shares about the journey that he's had to walk to get out of a challenging past a family life that was less than desirable and um, you know getting to the point of being able to even uh, accept the limelight and write his own book uh, that he talks about as well and I want to introduce you to him again as I said uh, Dr. Ian Brooks. Dr. Ian Brooks. Uh, Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you, you know, you you teach a lot of things, but before we get into learning about mind, body, soul, learning about success and failure, and and empowerment. Uh, can, can you share with us a little bit about who you are and uh, kind of uh, where you came from uh, yeah. and, and so we can get into this journey that, that, has, been, uh, it, that has been for you?
1: Yeah, I, I tell you, no, it's a pleasure to be here, Neil. And uh, yeah, I tell you, we all have a unique story of how we got to this very moment in time. Um, mm-hmm. I often talk to my clients about uh, don't judge the book based on the chapter you walked in on. And yeah. as we're having a conversation or meeting for the first time, and although we've connected offline before it's, it's something that I always keep in mind as I'm working with my clients, because we all have a journey and path. And my path is, is while different um, than anyone else's, it's still not unique that we all have a story to tell. And so for me, you know, I've, I've, I've always wanted to be a psychologist. So I grew up in, in Virginia, right outside Washington, DC uh, here in the U S and as, as a 13 year old, I made the decision that uh, uh, I wanted to be a psychologist and in that moment at 13, I I made the decision. And it, I I tell you, I I came up with that decision for several reasons. Uh, Number one, I was, I was fearful of judgment. So I didn't want to be too high up on the scholastic scale, athletic scale, because that offered a level of judgment and consistent expectation that if I didn't meet it, I was getting yelled at anyway. So I didn't want any part of that. And I have to try to sustain that. And that was just too hard. But yeah. I also didn't want to be too low. I was just not doing anything because, heck, you're getting yelled at then, too. So that's I don't want to be there. So yeah. in, in my mind, in a child's mind, mind you, you know, I was, I, I, I was like, let me just stay in the middle. Right. Let me just stay so that I'm not too high, not too low, that at least I'm consistent, consistent in, in, in not having being visible to anyone. And that way it afforded me a chance not to be judged because now I'm just fitting into the, the normalness of anyone who's around me, around their expectations. Um, that also afforded me a chance to fit into that, my personality of just being shy or, or, or more reserved in that respect. So I was tripped into the field of psychology, taking it one day in, in, um, in school. We were watching uh, the movie Cool Hand Luke and we're breaking it, uh, Cool Hand Luke, down um, from a psychological perspective perspective. I was like, man, this is kind of cool. And and it really sparked this idea of understanding why people do what they do. And that one decision of wanting to be a psychologist, that one acknowledgement of a question of why people do what they do has really provided me a journey of both a profession where I've actually lived, even the careers I've chosen, and even the people of whom I work with, a journey on helping others become better. And so, as such, you know, after as that thirteen-year-old, I, I had a plan to actually say, you know what? Anywhere I go, I wanted to go somewhere brand new. Why to learn about myself, as well as acknowledging that if it's scholastic, what what school did I want to go to so I can learn something, get a degree? But again, I was also learning about myself and creating a, a newness to my, to me, yeah. figuring myself out. And so that took me from a place of Virginia, then moving to Atlanta for four years for for undergraduate or had a chance to, again, psychology major, work with mm. adolescents and outpatient facilities. Um, so that created a, a wonderful experience and just an acknowledgement. One of, wow, so much trauma that actually children go through. And oh, yeah, was important, a clear definition and defining moment for me, not to want to work with children in that capacity. That's because it was so heart-wrenching to hear some of the stories and the work yeah. I was doing with those kids was just so palatable and so tough that you just want to save them all, but you can't. Um, from that journey, going and getting my master's in clinical psychology, where I had an opportunity to work in a 24-hour lockdown ward as a clinical therapist for adults. Yeah. Um, that was a unique experience, seeing people come straight yeah. off the street who were dealing with chemical imbalance and, and yeah. seeing how they're operating in their environment and, and controlling them in a way of, of this ward where they couldn't get out without a key. But yeah. yet, so we controlled them for 14 days. And even working with adolescents or even children then doing intelligence testing. And so that was really interesting that afforded me a chance to say, well, shit, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. This is draining. (laughs) Like just emotionally draining. So that took me to, Hey, I want to still love psychology, still helping people. I still love seeing people become better because guess what our essence as humans is about evolution and moving forward. And so that took me to getting my doctorate in organizational Mm. psychology and working with organizations and seeing and enabling leaders, one, transform the organizations based on their strategy and then moving to coaching them, uh, them being leaders and individuals one-on-one and in groups and helping them become better because now their normal is just the box of which they've created for themselves while leveraging my clinical skills, applying it into now moving people forward and expansion. And so I've worked with a who's who of organizations, um, you know, from a Nike to Sony, to Warner Brothers, to Illumina, to, Uh, again, a host of companies that have been uh, outstanding places to work and where I've afforded an opportunity to see one myself grow, but as well as others. Um, In that respect too, as I mentioned, I moved all over the place. And after I left my master's program in Alabama, I moved out here to California. And I tell you, the experience of just that exploration of trying something new where I had to learn about myself along with my clients um, was both fraught with vulnerability, but so much excitement. Mm-hmm. that I find quite often in my coaches or the individuals of whom I coach now find that same thrill because mm-hmm. we trust our capabilities of being able to move forward. And as such, um, after some time of working with organizations and people, you know, wrote my book, um, Your Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story, which uh, originally started off just as a guide of notes just to give people after I left them, after I was coaching them, saying, hey, here's some things to keep in mind because you keep on yeah. tripping up on this stuff. But what I realized that I was probably writing this guide more for myself. And the things that I was learning about myself yeah. through my various journeys of career um, places I've lived and the things that I also saw in my clients um, to the extent that when I first wrote the book, I had to fight my own going back to that 13 year old, that, that fear of judgment, because hell, yeah. when I started my business of roadsmith consulting and writing my book, well, there's no hiding from that. I, there's no, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no way to, to uh, not be out front. And yeah. so uh, I really, it really took me to a place where after I wrote the first version of my book and I heard it because it was an actual audio book, uh, quite frankly, I was scared. It was, I heard it in my voice. I was critical of what I was, I was hearing. I took my, my coach's hat and was listening to myself and said, what would I tell myself in this moment? And I was like, Oh shit. Like this book is not what it needs to be. And I had to make a choice at that moment as we all do in any type of change. And that was, if I'm going to write this book, I need to be able to open myself up in ways I had never allowed myself and had surrounded myself in an environment to do. And so because of that experience and because I said, yes, I'm willing to do this for myself, less about anyone else at this point. Um, yeah. It afforded me the chance to become the writer the book needed me to be. And as such, it's been, it's been a wonderful journey that continues to this day that uh, really has been been, been fun. So uh, that's a long winded way of answering your question, but <laughs> it's truly really a path that is both winding of, of, exploration possibility failure and just uh knowing that it can be done yeah
0: (laughs) i'm i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to see if i can stay with it the first question i gotta ask is how in the world did a 13 well you gotta i i get it actually with a 13 year old (laughs) kid to some degree because i was that weird kid that uh found uh psychology textbooks and Uh uh and started reading them as a kid, right? Yeah. Like nine, 10, 11, I was reading psychology textbooks because my they were like, oh, early childhood psychology. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning <laughs> I'm learning about yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was it was actually really interesting. Um, but how did the 13-year-old because yeah. you know that once you get into those teenage years? you're not supposed to remember any of those like 13 right. year old dreams, right? Like, right. I mean, between relationships and varsity teams and all that yeah. kind of stuff, it's supposed to go out the window and then
1: you're supposed to be clued out. So how right. in the world did, did you manage to keep that together? Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's funny. Yeah. It's, as, as we think about 13 year olds and that progression, that 13, 14, 15 in a high school and then going into college, it's, 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 to your statement, it's, it's those things that fall off of who we are. It's just a, part of the fabric of the quilt we're making. Um, yeah. But for me, it was in actually integrated into the fabric of who I am and was and how I grew up. So it wasn't something I was ever going to forget. It wasn't anything that it was like, oh, this is just a fleeting thought. Well, my fleeting thought of a of being a fireman and a, and a race car driver, <laughs> that's different than my idea and thought of, hey, this is who I am. Yeah, Like this is, no. I'm really curious why people do what they do. Like. Why do I, don't you, be- why do
0: I-, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. How yeah. in the world does a 13-year-old go, well, yeah. I'm going to
1: be a clinical psychologist? Well, you know, it, it, it became a, a question of, number one, not a question, but it was a statement to myself, like, okay, am I smart enough? Because if you have to be smart mm-hmm. enough to, to get a PhD, and I knew I wanted to get a PhD. It's like, okay, because that's going to be the source of validation. Yeah. Um, what's yeah. the thing that I, I can really own myself where – I'm not out in front, like I'm just curious, like where I can just ask questions, where I don't have to be out front a- in yeah. any respect. I can, in some ways, hide. Um, yeah. That way I can just listen to other people where I don't have to say really what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling. For me at that point in time, the 13 year old, hell, that was about survival. That was less about a career, it was about survival. Like, am well, I gonna, gonna get yelled at today? I'm gonna get a beating today? What's gonna happen? Like now it's about paying attention. <laughs> like yeah. now let's listen to the signs and now, oh yeah. And I just happen to trip on a, a course that actually does this where we're do it, talking about, you know, Freud, we're talking about, you know, the Rorschach we're talking about, we're talking about dream interpretations. We're going through an experience of like, wow, where I'm actually having to think through this. And it's like, man, that's kind of cool. Like, I want to know more about this. Like, let's, let's go. And so it was a, a mixture of a decision, both of judgment, but also survival that, again, it fit into who I am and was and in certain ways continue to be, but also puts the other person up front yeah. where I don't need to be in the front. I love people being successful and I can be successful without a comparison to someone else. Yeah. I'm in. I'm successful as a result of the comparison to the bar I set for my individual self, and that's mm-hmm. it. Not to a bar someone set for me, or to what someone else is doing. Yeah. And that's what the fabric of psychology has afforded me in, in my personality, how I grew up, and has, and it's evolved. Right. I, yes, I did get a Ph.D. Yes, I did do clinical, but <laughs> I could not have authored in a story and the things that I've seen and done and at all (laughs) um versus a statement as a child saying i want to be a psychologist and guess what i i did it yeah
0: yeah what was the what was the trauma behind that was there was there a trauma
1: behind that yeah Yeah. there was um i I touched on it slightly and, and the trauma was specifically the you know when i growing up that family was very driven um you know they my both my parents now you know, we're going to be celebrating 50 years of marriage next year. You know, both met in college. Woohoo! Yeah. That's a one hell of an achievement yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, they both went to college, both driven and both wanting us to be successful. Now, having three kids who are all similar in age um, ranges, you know, there's a lot of pressure that, you know, young people have been. So guess what pressure of them trying to be successful as, as a young couple, having young children and having their own devices, right? You're thinking about the seventies at this point, yeah. not just some you know, time like, hey, let's sit down and talk. Like some of the, the nuances of, of how children are raised today, just think about in the context of a time and place where people were living and the, the time and place where my parents were living. It was lived by sometimes force in certain ways. Yeah. So that means beating. So sometimes that was, you know, yelling, screaming, throwing things Yeah. in hell as a kid, that's that's fear. Right. That's, that's the situation. You come, you step back and say, I want no part of this. Like, what, who am I going to get today? Who's going to walk through that door? Like, I, I want no part of it. And did I do everything that I could or, or, and if I didn't, well, shit, sometimes you didn't even know. Right. And so it's from those experiences, like really shaped my perspective and, and creating that personal awareness. Right. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be heard. I have no interest in that because that creates visibility of which I have no interest in. Thank you. Keep me out of it. Yeah, exactly. I'm real clear about that. I'd like, no, thank you. Yeah. And so save that for somebody else that who doesn't know any better, but, but I do. And I'm cool with just staying in the middle. Let me just, let me just keep an even keel. Yeah. And so that, that's really what sparked it. And yeah, really it's a, why I even go back and even work with people and otherwise, because that's really what it, what it's about and being better. And that experience really shaped who I've become and the person I am. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I I was like, no. I said there's no way no 13 year old is supposed to be thinking <laughs> clinical psychology I right. I know why I was reading psychology textbooks and that was because my dad was an alcoholic and mm. you know we used to I got I got immigrant parents man I yeah okay. I, I was and I was an immigrant myself so uh-huh. you know we got beat yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah and add alcohol to it made it worse um, yeah yeah and, and so uh, what you're saying in terms of the fear and trying to stay out of the light, because mm-hmm. it wasn't a good thing, you, you know, because yeah. then you just pick him a, that it's the same
1: as painting a target, right? Yeah, it, on, it, on really, it really was. Yeah, it's, it's, right? it's, yeah, it's a situation that uh, it really creates a one hell of a piece of awareness. Yeah, um, well, the, and, as a,
0: and as a kid, you don't know why you're getting targeted. Right. Yeah. By the yeah. by the people you're that are supposed to love you, right? And so you're right. trying to figure that out. And so right. and so I was like, oh no, there's gotta be something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, this yeah. is this can't be the one brilliant yeah. guy that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be a
1: clinical psychologist. Right. Uh, it, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it truly really did I start have, off that way, but it, it really boiled itself down and why do people do what they do? What are their coping yeah. mechanisms? What's their ability yeah. to communicate? Um, and it really wasn't until going to that experience and, and even well past, I left my clinical time because I really didn't know how to even put it into my words, even then of the experience that it created for me or even allowed myself to even speak about it's, it's one of those situations that over time gaining comfort and acknowledgement of what happened, not to say it was right or, or wrong as much as an acknowledgement yeah. and how we've all grown, yeah. um, both myself, my parents, by um, siblings. And we take that as a place of reference, not of resident. And that's yes. true for any change. And when that happens, I'm not, I'm no longer a prisoner to that experience as much as I'm acknowledging the experience for something that can be one of reflection and positivity. And even how do I want to do things differently moving forward? Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. And that, oh, yes. And then, okay. And
0: so I'm even hearing, okay, I'll just tell you what I'm hearing is. Yeah. you're sharing. The, I'm like, okay, now I get where this man's got his superpowers coming from. Because it, it's all a journey, right? Yeah. But, but as you grow, as you go through things and you grow, you realize, if you look back, you realize, oh, this most of our strengths usually come out of some of the most challenging of times. Right. And absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And now
0: I'm going to speculate, but you know, that uh, it's also what leads you into being a a man that is out there sharing and empowering, Mm -hmm. providing that empowerment message because you know what it is to be afraid. You know what it is to, be insecure and you yeah. know what it is to not be just not be sure of yourself and yeah. uh and so now here you are championing
1: for being a champion for others Ab- absolutely and and you know one of the things that you know it, i think you you have touched on a few things but I, I the first being my about myself my own journey and, and going through it yeah. from a personalized experience um, yeah. that doesn't mean to be a, a good professional. You need to go through everything yourself. Like no. that don't need to be a, an addict to know, and to know that experience. Although, <laughs> yeah. although you know, I have addicts in my family, I recognize the, the, yeah. the turmoil that creates, right? No different than I'm yeah. sure that, you know, that's what alcoholism can, yeah. can do to a family and an experience and what, yeah. and how love is demonstrated. Um, yeah. one of the things that I also took from each one of my experiences, um, of where I lived and the jobs I've taken was really to, to really want to acknowledge, what did I want to get out of that experience? So creating as yeah. much situation as possible to, where I can see people in different places, where I can see them in different uh, situations. So when I'm looking and talking to an adolescent child who was raped by her father, that's one hell of a lot different conversation than talking to another child, you know, and I'm doing intelligence testing and they're coming from a wonderful background or I'll air quote wonderful because everyone's background is a little bit different and nothing's perfect versus an adult who has a chemical imbalance and needs to be on medication for the rest of their life versus talking to a COO in their situation. Each of us have a different background and story of which we're being told, but yet each one of those situations doesn't take us far away from who we are as people. And that is we just wanna be better. Um, And we start to see the patterns and the templates of which one we individually create, but what's created across us all and the stories that we're creating and living, it's really powerful to be able to see that. And, and, it's, and it's something that I've been really intentional about in how can I see this in different situations? Because what assumptions am I making as in, at the time as a therapist in a clinical setting, or now as a coach, what assumptions am I making about my own background or about this person? Or And yeah. what it force me to do is that be a better listener but also better at asking questions and uh, to allow the experience to come about. Um, I often talk to my coachees about this. I I always give an example of it's, it's very much similar to Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Um, Dorothy's only goal was to get back to Kansas. (laughs) That was it. She didn't know how she got to where she was, but all she knew that she wanted to get back to Kansas. Yeah. Oz was just nothing more than a milestone. Her path, And she didn't know it until someone told her was just follow the yellow brick road well Mm -hmm. she could follow the yellow brick road but her path was her path so she didn't know she was going to run into the tin man scarecrow caroling lion the oz she didn't know she was going to run into the wicked witch of the west none of that but what she did have though was true purpose on where she was going and she knew that whatever she was faced with she was still going to be able to make it through even though she didn't know what was coming for me, I've been, I've afforded myself my own life to be able to do that thing. I know the plan, but my path is my path, and I can't dictate the path necessarily. As good as my plan can be, that path will take its own direction. And I think as we talk about our own stories and the people I work with, I'm, I'm constantly bringing this back up because we try to control so much. And I know that going back to my own childhood, my own story, I'm influenced by so many assumptions, by my own fears, by my own my own vulnerability. And affording yeah. myself to understand my plan, but also being comfortable and flexible enough and confident enough in being able to manage my path, I'm still going to be able to get there. It's just being open to the possibility.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Dorothy and the Wizard vaz that's, a, yeah. that's <laughs> the best i i it's funny i never i've watched that i don't know how many times my my mom used to make us watch it growing up but um yeah that is such a great analogy for life and the ability to even uh mark a path yeah. uh wait uh yeah, mark a path, but but not
1: not be able to control the journey, right? Yeah, did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't know the journey, and hell, you don't even know even yeah. what your path is. Sometimes you need a coach yeah. or somebody to tell you. With that, hey, I think you can yeah. do it. Yeah. So somebody had to tell her, follow yeah. the yellow brick road, right? Right, um, right.
0: And before the adventure even began, someone had to say, "Hey, follow the yellow brick road." And right, and I I get that too. That that's actually that's wow. I'm gonna to have to go watch the Wizard of Oz. Okay. <laughs> Guys, if you're watching, go make a note to go watch The Wizard of Oz. You're gonna see it from a whole different lens. Um yeah. okay. I I got it. And um that is really powerful. Now I, I'm I'm just gonna try and fast forward just on yeah. what you, you shared. Yeah, sure. Um, so you go to school uh-huh. and you you're now into um uh you're now doing clinical work and you're working with kids and you're like no i'm not staying here um that i can i can understand um because it it, my my wife's actually a registered nurse and she's she's worked with with kids um you know with cancer and kidney Mm -hmm. failure and stuff Mm -hmm. like that uh now special woman i i'll give a shout out to my wife special woman um she loves working with them, and I've also seen many of her coworkers that would come and and had to leave because it, it can really be traumatic. At the same yeah. time, um, yeah. can can you say something about what that was like to work with kids?
1: Yeah, it's um, it was it was it was very heart wrenching, um, yeah. especially early early on in my career. You know, I think it was it came in two different ways, one of the stories I was hearing, but also my own internal capabilities or the lack thereof at the time to be able to handle it. I think first and foremost, working with the children and hearing their stories. Um, as I mentioned, I just touched on one, just even briefly, um, you know, hearing a story of a child raped by a father and then contracting AIDS as a result, um, and how do you talk to a child who doesn't know what's happening, who can't, doesn't have necessarily the vocabulary. Or the emotions to understand what's actually happening, or to even express it, um, or talking to another child um, and working with him, and all he wanted to do was play checkers. And he was there because he just happened to be laying in bed with his his mom and, uh, and another sibling, and the father had come in, uh, came in and and um, shot the mother with a shotgun and killed her. And wow. you know, what do you, what do you say? How do you how do you handle something like that? Um, now, mind you. I'm giving examples in my experience, both working with children and, and, and adults in a clinical setting, is probably the ones that uh, it's not what you see on TV, <laughs> right? Or if it is, it's probably on the spec- special victims unit type of uh, uh, TV shows where it's truly trauma, the things that we couldn't even probably fathom. And when we do, it scares the hell out of us. Mm-hmm. And that's what it did to me it scared me because now I'm, I'm helping children and seeing the realities of what people are faced with, both based on my own experience, right? Of that fear of getting beat and not knowing what's going to happen yeah. and trying to help kids. But also was I even equipped now speaking to myself to even handle that and being able to exercise that and to let it go and not carry that stuff home. And I realized that when I was working with children and even when I was working with adults, hearing their stories and working with their families to try to get them better, through group or even individual therapy, it's weird on me to a place that I didn't know how to release that. Now I could release it like any good writer or other people and, you know, smoke or drink. Um, but that wasn't a solve. I could immerse myself into something else other than myself, but it still sat with me that things that I couldn't let go. And I knew that wasn't healthy for me. And it, it was, it, it really took, uh, two instances, uh, when I was working with the adults to say, you know what, I, I need to work with some higher functioning people or maybe not higher functioning. They can just cope better. Um, it was one when I had to wash a grown man because he couldn't wash himself, myself and the orderly had to go and wash him. I was like, I can't do this all day or I'm not going to do this <laughs> ever again. Uh, this is just not something that's good. Um, but then I was meeting and talking to one of the other clients and he was there for quite some time. And when I walked in, you I know, said, hello, I'm gonna make up his last name. Hello, Mr. Tony, um, how are you doing today? And he would always say, doing the best I can. And I remember driving home one day after hearing him say that, and it just, uh, it, after a long day, and I, I just recalled him saying that and, and then applying that to my own life. And I'm like, well, shit, we're all doing the best we can. Some of us can have the resources to do something else that by our own selves versus others. And from those two experiences and also recognizing the weight that I carried with me from my experiences and the stories I was hearing um, really sparked the, okay, I want to do something else. The skills that I learned as a clinician still stay with me today and I'm a clinician at heart. But now I'm working with a different population of now, we're just looking at expansion. And so from that experience said, yep, I want to work with organizations and people and also be a leader. Um, I'd like would be fun to be a traveling consultant and and work with people and see change management in a way that is working with higher functioning people while also caring for my own values of wanting to help people, but also caring for people in their journeys in a lot of different ways.
0: Whew. um, man, story gets deeper and deeper. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, I, I, I appreciate the natural transition there. I can see how you've gone from there. And, and now you are into um, organizational, which I, I didn't even know. I was like, what in the world is an organizational psychologist? <laughs> um, organizational right. and industrial psychologist is that industrial correct psychologist, Yep, industrial and organizational oh. psychologist. yep and then i was like okay well organizational i guess that kind of makes sense and psychologist <laughs> kind of well, what the heck does an industrial psychologist like he comes in with uh, a battle suit and like all right let's go <laughs> um i i wasn't sure um yeah but uh but now you've taught you you shared obviously that you've dealt with companies like sony and yeah. um Nike and some of these companies, and and so I'm guessing that that work is now you're now dealing with what uh, organizational change and growth things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So in, in, in that field, and just from a general perspective, it is dealing with organizations and more in particular how it impacts their people. So it takes the look of organizational change. So it could be change management from an org des- new org design, talent yeah. planning, coaching. Um, HR, um, yeah. if there's technology uh, influences, it can be that. And so it really runs that gamut of even culture management, um, as well as performance management, really fall within this realm as well, um, yeah. as well as yeah. in particular leadership development, which fits into that coaching realm. And but yeah. more in particular within within the context of organizations. And so when I made the transition, I was looking at everything holistically across that IO space. And so I was a, had a chance to work with IBM as an employee and traveling around 100, percent, you know, doing the consultant thing and going in and you know with suit and tie and dragging my 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 laptop behind me through airports and so forth and, um, but it also created a journey of saying, hey, I I like working with organizations, but more importantly, I like working with people, and so it afforded mm-hmm. me to be, to work specifically with doing leadership development internally, so mm-hmm. and doing running culture management and at that time it was, I was working at uh, Countrywide Financial, um, running their mm-hmm. culture management for one of their groups. And if you remember Countrywide Financial, they're, they're one of the, at the cusp of the housing market collapse. Um, yeah. And so being a, a a change manager, having a clinician's background, but also being a manager at that time, really, I was in an employee at, at that, you know, was able to see the changes that an organization goes through and its impact on people and the and the craziness that it sparks and the rumor mm. and the fear and, and your companies in the headlines every, every day. Um, and it afforded me a chance to even test my own leadership and the things that of which I was, was, um, spouting and, you know, the, uh, teaching others, but really yeah. enabled me to expand upon my own values as a leader and how I was treating my own employees in a way that really, uh, afforded me a chance to expand even more as I became a leader in other capacities with other groups and how as even coaching leaders moving forward. Yeah. Wow, a
0: moment like that would absolutely test you in, do I actually know what I think I know? And yeah. <laughs> does yeah. it actually,
1: what I've been saying, is it gonna hold up? Yeah, yeah, and am I living to this? Am I, all the stuff I profess, like, am I even doing this? Like, how well am I communicating? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the reasons we can't necessarily communicate like, oh, we have to hold tight on what these organizational decisions are until they actually come out? But you know, certain things, it's like, okay, this is going to happen. Um, it also taught, you know, the, the really drove home the idea of politics and the idea of how does one navigate, create uh, influence? How do they now drive strategy? How do you create motivation um, and offer support, even in down times? um it was a first-hand opportunity to say well shit. <laughs> all right now bringing back in my clinical work of about other people but also checking myself at the same time was extremely important exercise and um one that i will not forget ever um yeah. because the moment i do we we're, we're doomed to repeat it but it also me <laughs> yeah. a chance to really to really uh help the leaders of whom i work with from a coaching perspective as well as when I'm working one-on-one now with my coachees around the experiences of fear and vulnerability that uh, just come around us. You've got to be writing
0: um, a paper right now. I mean, COVID must be giving you a real, I don't, I don't even know on your side, I can tell you on the real estate side, on the Mm -hmm. finance side, um, you know, I could probably write papers on what we've seen. Right. So yeah. Tell tell me what what's that experience been like for a man who's supposed to handle organizational change and psychology? Yeah, how do you deal with
1: that while everybody's at at their own homes? COVID has really underscored the challenges uh, both in organizations and people in general. Um, going back to organizations, those organizations that more were more able to seamlessly get into working remotely um, yeah. and working with with their teams across the globe, had te- technology and process structures that were already enabled, but without them even knowing to actually pivot very quickly, well, where they didn't rely upon the brick and mortar to actually move forward. Um, those who were not as quick to adapt in that respect had to figure it out on the go. So they were re- truly reacting to something. Now, as we mm-hmm. all know, when we're reacting, it helped, it helped a lot slower for us to go through yeah. or more apt yeah. to make mistakes. Um, yeah. We're gonna be tripping over ourselves. Oh hello, restaurant industry, (laughs) right? Um, Especially- What I was thinking about. What's that? I said, that's what I was thinking about. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's one of those situations like, that. I mean, it was a prime example, they they were struggling. And so some businesses were able to quickly pivot and move forward in that respect, others weren't. Um, I also found it very interesting that from an individualistic standpoint within organizations, as we think about developing talent, like we're so built on our leaders having visibility and creating visibility for their other for their employees and for themselves, then now we're having to lead it differently where our, our communication is extremely a lot more important. Our transparency is more heightened and not transparency because I need to see you on Zoom, but transparency so that I'm very clear on what I'm actually articulating. Those organizations and, those, and more in particular, those leaders who are, were able to do that, their skills really were able to shine through on that, both in a positive way as well as negative way. Um, I was recently on, I uh, heard a, a stat that people are um, are leaving companies left and right. And, um, and one of the top three reasons was they didn't like the way that they were being treated during COVID. And uh, it was, in, in my mind, that's an a- acknowledgement of, quite honestly, leaders' abilities were shining through, that they're leaving because they were probably good leaders before, or the values that are now heightened because all the noise of coming into an office, all the noise of our day-to-day lives of running kids to soccer practice or, or going to a happy hour or, or flying here or flying there, we've taken all that out. So now I have nothing more than to look at the person in the mirror, in this case, the person on Zoom, to say, "Are you? is this really where I want to be? Like, yeah. crap, <laughs> and yeah. I've got to look at you. I, I've got to do this all for how, however long, no wonder people are trying to get out of the house. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder. Like, heck with the vaccination, or give me the vaccination so I can go back to work, like, or leave, because yeah. it highlights so many things for us. It highlights so many gaps that we that our life, um, and the noise we create and surround ourselves with masks, which leads me to the individual side. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough to coach people during this experience, and one of the biggest challenges is how they deal with the noise and being able to create space Mm -hmm. for the quiet. If you ever sit in a meeting and just ask a question that someone doesn't know the answer to and just sitting there and allowing them to answer the question without filling the space. Most people can't do it because now they're forced to now think to now place a judgment and acknowledgement on what they're thinking and actually saying it. And that causes fear, vulnerability, judgment. And that really has shined through for those people who are actually able to get down to the quiet of which COVID has afforded us. Some chaos sometimes <laughs> with kids running around in the background and otherwise, but it's also for those people who were able to adapt in that way really looked around and said, Hey, I can manage this, What what really changed? I'm just not going in an office or I'm not going to soccer practice. Yeah. I can do something else versus shit. I want to get back in the office. Why why are they telling us what we can and can't do? I, we need to get these kids out here doing stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, that's a heck of a lot different reaction yeah. versus a That reaction is one of fear. Versus one of the rules of this game have changed. Got it. I didn't create these rules. I now know them, but let's play. Yeah. That's a different perspective. And that's even a different experience of what organizations who have done this very well throughout this time have done. They've adapted to the rules and sometimes even created their own as well as the individual choices people have made as well. And so I have been writing quite a bit about, uh, about that, as well as even coming out of COVID and how we're so quick to come out of COVID with vaccinations and so forth that, guess what? We're seeing our spikes again <laughs> because no different than change, um, we think an instance or a milestone is the end result and we have a finish line. When COVID, much like change, there is no finish line. It's what do we sustain? and how we built that sustainment and integrated it into our lives. Wow. Guess what? We haven't. Yeah. Ooh. So that's those are all the things I'm writing about or seeing <laughs> or starting to write about as well. Man, I, I for those of you that are watching this,
0: I hope you're catching this, this man is dropping gold right now. Um, but it might take having to rewind and replay <laughs> yeah. and just listen to what he's saying. Um, i I am fortunate that I have been working from home for many years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, y- you know, everyone uh, a lot of people know Toronto. it's one of the largest cities in the world. Mm-hmm. i I drive in when I need to drive in and then I work from home and um, it's I have a nice office. I look out the uh, I look out the window and I get to enjoy that. Mm-hmm. So when COVID hit,
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: it it didn't make much of a change in my life
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, for the most part I- initially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but one of the things that we saw was initially people were like, "Oh, hey, great! I get to stay home." I mean, obviously yeah. there was lots of fear, but uh, there was uh, some of the things that I started to see was uh people would, some people just they weren't doing work, yes. but the majority of people that I spoke to actually were increasing their workload mm-hmm. because they're sitting at home thinking, I don't, I don't know what else to do, so I might as well work. And they were actually being, I, I'm going to say more productive, mm-hmm. um, but they were definitely just putting in more hours. Yeah. Whereas people that perhaps had families, had kids, mm-hmm. They were seeing this opportunity to spend with their kids. Yes. And uh, that was definitely something that I got (laughs) because I've got four kids and um, summer didn't last for, summer break didn't last for two months. It lasted (laughs) for 18. Right. You know, um, hence hence the reason that I got a specialized mic and uh, headphones Mm -hmm. so that if they make noise, I can still do my stuff. But, Um, anyways, my, yeah. what I'm saying, what you're sharing, I'm, I'm hearing what you're talking about. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I've seen all of these ups and downs of how people are trying to cope with it individually Mm -hmm. and the frustrations that they've gone through. And then Mm -hmm. what you're, what you're talking about with regards to the team leaders and the, Mm -hmm. the, or the leaders in the organization yeah, absolutely. Because how many jumped to hey, get on Zoom
1: mm-hmm.
0: as their only mode of um, keeping people in line? Like, oh, I need to be like almost like I'm gonna walk by your desk yes. to see if you're actually working. Yes, and that's a that's a form of leadership. Yes, uh, it if is. you if you. <laughs> You know, I can't say that I like that form of leadership, right? Right. But um, I think these are some of the things that you're pointing to. Yes. And But what I really got out of that was you talking about uh, the silence. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's amazing how we're not comfortable with that silence. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how... I just had some friends come out for the weekend out here to uh, Kingston, and mm-hmm. they did not know what to do mm-hmm. with the silence without the streetcars and all mm-hmm. the things going up and down and people. It's so quiet that you can hear what's going on in your own head, mm-hmm. which yes. I happen to think is really cool. But yes, um, yes, a lot of people don't so. Yeah, do you have anything to say about cuz I think it's unnerving for a lot of people it is. a lot of what they're going through and the protests we're seeing as you alluded mm-hmm. to I think a lot of what we're seeing there is really people not more than anything I think not being comfortable with uh hearing
1: just what's going on inside their own head Ab- absolutely and um to that very 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 statement it's um It's created a heightened awareness of what we hear and then what we search for from a social media standpoint really anchors us back to a consistency of group think of if I like McDonald's, guess what? I'm going to search for McDonald's and 10 minutes later, I'm going to see 30 ads on McDonald's, (laughs) (laughs) right? Because it's all geared towards, oh, you just searched this. So guess what? You're getting McDonald's. So yeah. even in that, our, our, our our thinking and our in that silence and what we search for and what we're just naturally gravitate towards, social media has driven us towards, hey, we're going to continue your theme of what you have. And so it's going to prop, you know, give you more propaganda for that. So as you think about protest, as we think about, you know, here in the obviously states, George Floyd, the death, you know, really galvanizing, creating visibility in ways that, hadn't necessarily been available because there was so much other noise that was taking shape around us. Um, also here in the States, obviously with, you know, the insurrection after the, the election, you know, people voicing their concerns and storming storming the Capitol and what did that mean? And it galvanized people's thoughts and and emotions. And guess what? I don't see any of that going away.
0: Mm -hmm. In fact,
1: I think it's just going to be even extended not only one of getting lost in our own thoughts, but secondly, how social media and even the bots behind social media, even drive our thoughts and thinking to to fill that void in certain ways. But when we give ourselves a chance to just unplug uh, we give ourselves a chance to have uh, a rich dialogue, both with someone such as yourself or just being lost in our own thoughts, um, it creates to your very statement, some fear. If you're not used to it, Um, it creates vulnerability of a sense of validation because our thoughts naturally gravitate towards gravitate towards what we currently know, what we currently um, live by through our own assumptions. And oh, yeah, by the way, through our own survival technique. Right. Yeah. Uh, What do we currently know? Those things are not bad, but they also may not be accurate or we may have outlived those truths but when we're in our own minds and we have noise around us we don't afford ourselves the opportunity to escape in that way to really expand beyond what we currently already know and it does spark fear so as i work with my clients and one of the activities i ask them to do each each week is um you know i say and i call it out even in my book i say just Pause. You know, just just pause. Just stop. Whatever you're doing, just stop. Um, I want you to process. There's a second step. Process whatever just just happened, right? Take. It, don't offer a judgment. Offer just an acknowledgement of what did you see, what did you feel, what did you experience, and then reflect. Reflect on the assumptions that are driving some of those thoughts and feelings. Reflect on how you may have caused that or what in your history and our stories have created that narrative. Again, it's not a judgment, it's just an acknowledgement. And from being able to pause, process, and reflect, not in a place of trying to be right or wrong, but in a place of neutrality, we can then say, okay, I acknowledge this. Now, how do I now want to move forward? What do I now want to say is true? And it's not about a race of like, oh, I need to think about every single thing in my day. It's like, oh, let me pause, process, reflect on how I tied my shoes. No. (laughs) Right? No. It's who am I? And it's probably one of the scariest things that people have avoid. Because who am I is not about a ROI. Yeah, who am I is defined based off of a return on heartbeat. It's based off of acknowledgement of my own story, of my own characters, own choices, right, wrong, or indifferent. It doesn't make me any bad or worse; just makes me human. But it also allows me to afford myself a cho- a chance to uh, make a choice, and that choice is what separates us from robots. That the data may a hundred times tell us to turn left, but I still have the choice to turn right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh
0: absolutely. Why do we why do you think that we rush to judgment?
1: Yeah. Um judgment offers finality. It affords us a chance to put things in a box. Hmm.
0: When yeah, we're we actually love walking, in boxes.
1: Yeah, everyone likes the box. Like it's it's I can now give you a definition of who you are. Because now that's what we're defining It is now I know how to interact with you. If you're not in a box, if I don't have a judgment, then I don't know how to act. I don't know, like, okay, then, then now what do I do? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now because I have no frame of reference of which to operate in. Right? And, and so when we rush to that judgment, it's now comfort in saying, yes, I can go do. Because I know what box you're in. It's like, well. Sometimes that's right, yeah, um, but when we live our lives based off of that, right? when COVID hits, well, guess what? There is no box. Wow. Now you're, you're, you're trying to rely upon historical frames of reference and of acting that no longer apply. And that's that like, you're gonna struggle. You're gonna find frustration. You're gonna be angry. You're gonna be rushed to do whatever you can to say, yes, this is the way we always do it. Right? That's the way we have done it, check. always have done it, sure, but is that the way we need to continue to do it? And I think that's one of the bigger challenges with any change is being able to let go of those judgments, of those boxes of which we've created for ourselves to create our own survival and comfort. You know, we're running as Willy Mammoths and staying in, running from the lions and staying in packs for survival (laughs) because we know what survival means for us. Mm Mm-hmm. This box tells me that. That judgment affords me a chance for comfort, even if I don't like the box. It gives me comfort in knowing that I, at least I know what I'm dealing with. Get outside that box, I don't know. And it goes back to you know, a Wizard of Oz analogy. It's, it's truly affording ourselves a chance to create the experience through our path, because our path is our path. Um, your plan is your plan. Yeah. How do you how
0: do you teach that to an yeah. organization without destroying an organization? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because uh, yeah. Because it occurs to me you know, I didn't think about it back when I used to work uh, a job mm-hmm. and yeah. they would talk to you about you know, think outside the box. Right. The moment I started thinking outside the box, I no longer fit in the
1: organization. Yes. I was like, <laughs> <"What?" Right. laughs> that's that's exactly right. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's it's funny. Um, that's the expansion and the awareness that we sometimes create by thinking outside the box. Like, why in the heck am I here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I yeah. shouldn't be here. There's a reason why I have my own company, right? There's a reason yeah. why you have your company. Like, I, 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 thank you for the box you gave me, but um, I've expanded past this. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So when I'm in organizations, a lot of them are just trying to oftentimes execute against a strategy. And so ultimately what that means is they're creating boxes. So they're not saying they're expanding – and thinking outside the box, but they've created a separate box for you. Right. So when I'm doing technical changes, for an example, you know, one of the big things that I, I start off by doing is anchoring with the executive team or the executive sponsor around, how's this tied to the values of the organization? How's this tied to a two-year plan? Um, what, what's the impetus? Why, what's the reason now? Um, because that executive isn't changing. It's the, his three deep or his four deep Groups of people whose behavior has to change, where their process has to change, where they're gonna to have to do something different. For that executive, they're just looking at a spreadsheet. So it's a little, a little bit different dialogue. Mm-hmm. So in being able to think outside the box, it's that executive is looking at it from a ROI perspective, from a perspective yeah. of boxes I'm moving from an org chart on this on this on this PowerPoint. When I'm actually working with that 3D, 4D team of actually looking at behavior, I'm now expanding them to say what's in it for them, what's truly changing versus what's staying the same, and then what's gone all That dialogue creates an expansion of, hey, you're, categorically, what we're doing is, is the same. You're, what we're doing is the same. Now I'm building a and refining your skills to do something different with the same process. And maybe even the process changes. But now we're just refining your skills and building your capabilities there. Um, that's a little bit different dialogue than when I'm coaching leaders in particular, either one-on-one or in in a broader context, um, within organizations. Whereby I'm now getting them to think outside what they've been successful with already, because guess what? You've been successful, heck it's, you can keep doing what you're doing. Um, maybe bumpy roads and you might create a wake behind you, that we can probably lessen, but quite honestly, you could probably keep doing what you're doing. Um there the conversation takes a little bit different turn because now there's a certain level of accountability of expansion and thinking outside the box of something that they've always done and what they've always done is kept themselves comfortable yeah but we can think outside of our box because that creates an uncertainty of vulnerability am i still going to be successful how am i going to be viewed um I'm not, I'm already successful now. So what's the reason I should change other than someone from HR or otherwise has determined that I should have a coach. Wow. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> um, now they've projected that onto me. Now I can just go in, quite frankly, again, in my job, I'm looking at spreadsheets. So I'm really not changing anything that I'm doing, but now I'm asking you to actually change your behavior. Also change the way that you're thinking. Also change the way that you're planning around your behaviors and thinking Mm -hmm. that's a heck of a lot different conversation of getting outside of that box but it's always in that getting outside that box and expansion to do and think more broadly to the betterment of your teams your peers and even the implementation of your strategy because all those things are still true it's now the refinement in building additional skills to actually move forward and break break ourselves with these chains or in this case The box people places them. Wow, Um, there's a reason
0: that uh, you need a PhD to uh, work through that. (laughs) Uh, Like, holy crow. Yeah, you. I'm a
1: simple question. I'm throwing the whole kitchen sink at you. And, you know,
0: no,
1: I, <laughs> I, w- I was working. You had me working there.
0: It's like, okay, you've yeah. got the executive execs that are working here, and they're doing this, and and I'm and I'm just trying to follow the the flow that you're sharing, and I was like, you know, that makes sense. Why they would hire you because you get to come in. In all seriousness, you get to come in and and plot that out because they're mm-hmm. already, management's already working with within their parameters. They're thinking mm-hmm. about all their things. And that really is the power of bringing in a consultant to come in and, hey, I need you to handle this. And mm-hmm. you're gonna be the guy for the entire organization that mm-hmm. handles this. And um, because those intricacies, mm-hmm. it, you know, that manager, that executive is just not going to be capable to handle as much as I can just hear what you said and go, okay, that I, that is making some sense, Mm -hmm. some semblance of sense uh, to me. There's no way for me to implement that in a real life situation. Um, you know, and so that's where your specialized knowledge Mm -hmm. experience come in and you're really able to help them with that organizational change, with the industrial changes that are going on. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's what I just saw.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it's you know, obviously I'm giving a a, 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 truly I'm, I went from high level to getting down into the weeds of yeah. that explanation, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, working in, and obviously in the context of a, of our conversation, pretty short, clearly short term in that um, <laughs> in the context of working with leaders, it, it takes time, right? Because yeah. I also know that yeah. I'm not trying to be an employee i'm a yeah. consultant i'm a coach i'm helping yeah. you build capabilities so that you can yeah. sustain this so i don't need yeah. you to be me i need yeah. you to be you i need you to integrate yeah. this into what you're going to do now yeah. in that respect i will build the plans and i'll implement the strategy to establish the foundation for you to move forward and for yeah. me to help you carry this forward so maybe it is 90 percent me 10 percent you but as we yeah. start getting down to other milestones That's going to take a little bit different flavor of 70% me, 30% you. Yeah. Or depending upon someone else, it could be 40% me, 60% you. And so by the time I'm leaving, now it's 80% you, 20% me. And now it's now be who you are because that's where your authenticity comes in. Because now it's going to be built into your fabric, not mine. And as important, set a foundation for you to move forward but understand it's just not in a microcosm of our silos of, I got a project. Well, well, no shit, you got a project. You don't need me to help you get to that milestone. Just tell people to do and call it a day. But but if you really want to do something, if you really want to change, this is not about a technology. It's not about an employee survey result. Mm. This is really about human behavior at its essence and at its core going back to that 13-year-old Ian, why do we do what we do? There's a hell of a lot more about us than the, the situation we find ourselves in this organization or this strategy. Yeah. Let's go back to yeah. your 13-year-old self and the decisions you made and the things that have been right or wrong, because guess what? That's going to come up now. And yeah, let's work through this. So
0: how does... an uh, organizational industrial <laughs> psychologist also become I mean you should just have another slash because aren't you like the uh organate organizational industrial slash uh mixologist uh you yeah. Know, psych- yeah mixologist it, yeah. psychologist oh hey you're the mixologist
1: psychologist hey there we go <laughs> that's that's, that's 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 absolutely it because you need a couple of drinks just to understand half the things I'm saying, um, <laughs> but <And> then everybody <laughs> is like, "Oh, now I get it!"
0: <laughs> yeah, right? Like that was outstanding. Can you say that again? <laughs> G- give me another drink while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: You, you know, um, it's it's funny. It's um, I've it, it, obviously again um, always had a plan of i'm trying to understand why people do what they do and and so so aside from getting my master's in clinical and doctorate in uh industrial organization psych you know having the you know getting a a, you know going to bartending school and learning how to make drinks because what better you know better way to to meet meet people and really have some interesting conversations i guess it's kind of like driving for uber these days um where you can just meet some really interesting people um learn how to make drinks as a result um, while also getting my uh, a certification in um, my NASM certification in personal training as that's from a physical standpoint of transformation and why people do what they do and the, and the stories they tell themselves and their own evolution. Um, but from a mixology standpoint, it's fun um, because I learned so much as a, um, in a lot of different contexts and, and themes that tie directly to, being a a coach and this idea of transformation.
0: yeah,
1: And two that I talk about, even in my book, uh, Intention, is it really stands around, you know, one, the one was like making the cheap mistake. And so um, the idea behind making a cheap mistake, I learned uh, going into bartending school was always, um, always pour your juice before you pour your liquor. Um, Because if you overpour on your juice, you can throw that out. If you ever pour in your liquor, now while that might be great for the patron, right? They'd be like, yes, give me more liquor most of the time. Um, that's bad for the bar because we're losing yeah. money. And that changes yeah. the, ta- the, the the flavor and the yep. the project of which this drink is intended to offer. And so that's more expensive to toss that liquor out or try to now calculate in your head how much I need to pour and otherwise. So I always make the cheap mistake. And, I, and that applies to us in our, when we're embarking upon changes, like create and identify situations where you can make the cheap mistake, where if you overpour, or mess up, or fail, what's lost? Now your time, sure, but at least you tried it, and now you learn something from it. But you can always start over. Mm-hmm. Whereby thinking that I had a good a friend of mine who wanted to start playing golf, had never played golf in his life. Guess what he wanted to do? He wanted to go out there and buy some, you know, Tiger the clubs Tiger Wood uses. Some, you know ungodly amount of money of of golf clubs. Now, if you're playing every day and you've got a pretty good handicap and so forth, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. Or you see yourself playing like that, go for it. But you don't even know how to swing a club. So why in the hell are you going to buy this expensive club? For what reason? It doesn't make sense. Make the cheap mistake. Learn on something that, quite frankly, you don't mind throwing away or hey, you're gonna learn from this and you can refine. And as you start to get better, you can now build up to getting yeah. the club Tiger wood uses. Life is very much in a very similar fashion and our changes, we oftentimes try to rush to an end result. Like I just wanna see what I see on YouTube or or Instagram. I just want to look like that. Or I want that money, I want that house, I want that lifestyle. Make the cheap mistakes, start your journey. Um, and people aren't affording themselves the journey. Yeah. Um, and and it's sad, um, yeah. It's really sad in that respect. So make the chicken mistake. I love mean. it.
0: I I love it. I, I started this podcast, and uh, with the with this podcast, I mean, really, it was out of social media. By the way, mm-hmm. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if I mentioned that at the beginning, but um, started because of social media. My following was asking me about podcasting, mm-hmm. or I suggested podcasting. They uh, liked it. But they didn't know how to do it, so I started it. Okay. Now, I started it with Zoom, mm-hmm. and the free the free Zoom, you you get forty five minutes or whatever. You can record <laughs> yes. it. You can put it, <laughs> upload it to YouTube. It's free. It, you know, it's all free, and mm-hmm. uh, no microphone, no lighting, no nothing, uh-huh. right? And uh, and so the cheap mistake, right? If yeah. if it doesn't work, okay, I didn't spend any money. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, and so and then of course now I've added a microphone and new camera and all this different mm-hmm. stuff as we've gone further. But I I do like what you're even sharing there because it speaks to even getting into action um, yeah. because sometimes we're we're so busy just thinking about things that we we never get around to doing them
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and the thoughts are in our brains fighting with all the other uh, things that are in there. So right jumbled up and yeah and then we face a thing like covid where now we have to listen to all of those things that are mm-hmm. swirling around right? right so uh so i appreciate that um can you tell us uh, well i i want to i, I want to come back to the book and find out a little bit more about okay. the book but just before yeah. i do that what's
1: next for you yeah I, you know i've got a number of things uh percolating that's to say what yeah. what's yeah.
0: what's in the rumor not rumor mill what's in the <laughs>
1: I don't Put know. Put iron you during know the that fire. That. Yeah. There, that's it. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I'm I'm continuing to do is um, have my group coaching. So aside yeah. from my one-on-one coaching from a personal standpoint, um, really expanding out to really establish a foundation in you know, a lot deeper sense of what does it mean to change and evolve. Um, so I'm really starting to expand my group coaching from a just from a localized Conversation to now much more of a, a global conversation and, and bringing people in. And so, in that context, it's um, four people coming in, no more than six coming in and really using that collaborative conversation while also embarking upon a very specific journey that they're going through from a change perspective um, over a six week period. So, my next sessions um, are actually kicking off. Um, the first ones are. are, are this round anywhere kicking off here in later September, and another round is kicking off in October. So um, really, this uh, jumpstart and lead into the holidays, while also important leading into um, the new year, as as we all know, New Year's resolutions get kicked off. And we all have high expectations uh, for ourselves around whatever whatever we're going to do differently in the year. Blah blah blah, um, only to be fraught with I'll get to it next year or after three months stop. So yeah. really helping people build a foundation from a group coaching standpoint is kicking off. on um, a lot more bigger detail. Um, I'm also, um, uh, doing more, more writing. So I'm actually starting uh, the development of another book uh, that'll be coming up, okay. even though this one took me four years to write. Um, and it was almost my cheap mistake in a number of respects. I'm um, yeah. really affording myself a chance to now put my voice in a lot broader, a lot more specific detail as well around change and one's evolution. And through the conversations I've having with yourself, as well as others, um, really seeing what comes to the forefront. What questions can I help tell an author a story to that helps people move forward in their own journeys? Um, so it's between those two big things. Anything else, I'd be just greedy and uh, tired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Good luck with that because I'm thinking organizational change through COVID is going to have, should have you busy enough just in and of itself. Yes. Um, that that's cause, cause now we're still seeing the other side of it, which is how do you get people back? Yes. And people that want to come back and people don't mm-hmm. want to come back. And what yes. about the amount of space that you get? I mean, different, different places have different restrictions mm-hmm. and, uh, vaccinations no anti-vaxxers yeah you, you, you know i mean I, actually we had on the show um a gentleman by the name of uh, jason greer who's uh, mm-hmm. an employee and labor relations uh, expert and he was talking about uh, we were we were speculating on mm-hmm. on all of the divisive topics that are out there and are they media driven mm-hmm. or and and what we really came to was, we're we're actually seeing the media being forced into having to report on the things that are underlying mm-hmm. um, that have been ignored for so long, and uh, and they're getting you know they're being forced into reporting on the Black Lives Matter. They're mm-hmm. being forced into reporting about y- you know the uh, uh, the the incidents at the White House and mm-hmm. no, no, sorry, not at the White House, at the, the Capitol, the, the indirect, the Capitol, yeah. the Capitol yeah. right? At the Capitol. Yeah. All, all these different vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, all, all of these topics are they can't ignore them. Uh, even if they wanted to try to tell us that everything is good. And uh I'm and we were just speculating on, on this, of course, <laughs> but it there really is something to this whole idea of change management, mm-hmm. uh, not just in organizations, not just yeah. in industry, but yes. you know, yeah. uh, across uh, the yeah. fabric of our society and for the first mm-hmm. time across the world as well. Yeah,
1: right? yeah. it's uh, forcing us to have a reckoning in a way that um, has eluded us. And I think it's, it, it, it's underscored that we get so far down a path and we think we've arrived and COVID is a great example that we that we've, we've we, we thought we arrived. We saw our numbers going down. People were getting vaccinated, patting ourselves on the back. Um, yeah. It's like almost like congratulating ourselves before we've even hit the finish line. Um, but then when we hit the finish line, we realized that we're not done. And guess what? It happens in change all the time where we've built our whole infrastructure on a plan, not to build, it into and integrated into our life, not in a way that we can now live to whatever our new normal is. People are just rushing to get back to normal, whatever that yeah, was it's... 20 months ago. Yeah. To make whatever themselves feel good or get back to like, yes, I'm out here going to restaurant and being able to fly and see my families, et cetera, et cetera. Yet here we are seeing, you know, new cases come up with the Delta variant, Lambda variant as well and even with people who have been vaccinated and people are just mm. tired. And that's what happens with change because even the thought and the mental process of which we've all gone through and even go through in any change before we even do, is so tiring because when we, we really see all the things we were supposed to do <laughs> and can do, I'm like, oh shit, I, I, don't, I don't wanna do this. I, I just wanna do it this one time can I be done? Um, it's like, no, we have to build in the right behaviors. And COVID is a, an example of that. And to and we see it in change all the time. It's an exercise in change, of which um, it's the reason why self-help is such a, a, a hot topic and always has yeah. been. It's a billion-dollar industry. Yeah. And, yeah. and quite frankly, it's not going away anytime soon because we're just yeah. not very good at it, um, yeah. quite, quite frankly. And, and the news focuses on and highlights the things that if you would ask people 20 months ago, well, are we good at this stuff, they'd be like, yeah, we're good. People are, you know, have their own opinions, the right for their choices, but no, we're not going to have an insurrection. We're you know, we're not going to fight now. We're not going to topple, you know, things over. No, we're good. Yeah, we're, we're, we're yeah. great. Black Lives Matter, yeah, we have some things that happen, you know, with the black voice. Well, I think we've done better to integrate, socialize. Yes, and as an African-American male, I see it and you hear the stories, but now all of a sudden it's created another awareness. like, no, we're not as far as along as we think. And that's not only societal, but that's also individually as well. Um and COVID just has exposed us on a lot of different fronts. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I, now you got to tell me about the book a little bit more because you, you <laughs> gave me something at the beginning, but then you gave me something along the way. So <laughs> got Now I'm yeah. curious about the book.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the book is is really... The, um, the, the one that you've already written, ten. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. This, yeah. this yeah. book is... Um, you know, it's, it's, and I'll hold it up so people can actually, can actually see it. Cause I, you know, if they haven't seen it, it's available on Barnes and Noble and, and, uh, Amazon paperback and okay. ebook, audiobook is coming, but in, in, intention really is intended to provide clarity, um, and steps to transform our individual stories. Yeah. Um, it's a book that acts as a guide in building capabilities and I'm key and critical and intentional about the word capabilities because that's behaviors that are repeatable. Irrespective of situation, it takes a fresh look um, using research, um, experience of those of whom I've coached, is, as well as my own experience individually, as well as nonfiction to create a story and illuminate the challenges we face across our path in doing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, I refocused our idea of change to focus. Up more up front, where I'm asking people to delve more into discovering what are they looking to solve. Um, a lot of times, I get a question of, "I don't know what what direction I should go on. I don't know what I'm sh- supposed to do." Um, and there's a lot of confusion around just solving for anything, just because we're in a day and age where we're offering judgment, and in order to mm-hmm. offer judgment, I have to have some level of action, and so now it means I need to go out and do which then leads me to just jumping and building a plan. But you're not really discovering what you're really solving for. Because what is presented to us is oftentimes masking the true issues, true challenges within ourselves yeah. and our own journeys. Yeah. And so I spend time with, with the reader to really uncover what that discovery is. The second piece around that I really focus on up front is the principle of you. So we talked about it a little bit earlier in, in that journey of my own and, and what yeah. I work with people on. Really to un- uncover who are the characters in our own story? Like who what are the characters that I created? Now, yeah. I define characters not by our um, essence of, of I'm a brother, I'm a sibling, mm-hmm. um, I'm an uncle, I'm a VP, um, yeah. I'm a Porsche owner. It, it's not defined by those things. Yeah, It's guess what? I'm Mr. Know-it-all. And guess what? I, yeah. act, I have a degree <laughs> for everything that I have. I need some level of validation that, I, that I'm smart enough. Um, I'm like the, the cowardly lion, because every time I step into a certain situation, I act in a certain way. These first two parts of the book establish a foundation. And then within that principle of view, not to be lost is the prince is around choice and acknowledging what am I willing to do? And also as important, what am I not willing to do? We often embark upon our journeys as though we're just gonna do everything yeah, I can go out there and do this. Yes, I can go out there and lose those 10 pounds. Yes, I can be a better communicator X, Y, and Z. Where you get the resistance is when you say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't feel comfortable with that. I'm not there yet. But yet we've held ourselves to the expectation. We've held ourselves to measuring of our success and failure by things that we didn't even acknowledge that we weren't willing to do or better yet we were willing to do. And so for those first two parts, it really set the foundation of the rest of the book of planning, experience, and attunement. to being that pause process and reflect Mm -hmm. and readers are taking on this journey in a way that um, they're solving for a specific concern now while building the capability to use this book as a reminder Mm -hmm. for any changes that they have in in the future so i guess in essence uh intention is really a book that that shows that successful personal transformations i don't really care if it's you know personal professional trying Mm -hmm. to lose weight trying to get a new job, um, just being better um, starts with you. And it's sustained with our ability to integrate and our gift of acknowledgement of who we are. And readers can pick this book up at any moment in time and offer us as a reminder to our own personal journeys and address any changes that we have in the future. And that's really what it means. um, As I say here at the title, to be able to master uh, your intentions, yeah.
0: Whew. that uh, guys. Uh, if you're watching this, uh, that book is not for the faint of heart. No, uh, <laughs> I, that, that, this man's gonna take you to some ugly places, and you're gonna see some <laughs> ugly
1: truth. Yeah, but it, it, is, a, it is a book. It is truly a book to be experienced, not flipped yeah. through. So, yeah, that's what I want. What I want for people, and yeah. if we can do that, uh, that's a win. Love it. Love it. Well,
0: Dr. Ian Brooks, <laughs> it's been a pleasure
1: to have you on the show today. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Neil. It's definitely been a pleasure having a conversation with you and talking more about what I know we're both passionate about, and that is um, business, people, and quite frankly, how, how do we define and create success? And yeah, A lot of ways to get there.
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you and I have both been through a lot and we've learned a lot and we just see the the need and we have the desire to want to be able to uh, pass that on and uh, and provide that to other people. And if you, it, you know, it really, it, there's really something to be able to impact another person's life, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. hey, if there's if there's monetary value out of it, that is nice. Right. But at the end of the day, it does not compare at all to to knowing the impact that you've had uh on other people. So um, I can hear that just from from all that you've shared about organizations and um you know and uh you know that 13 year old kid who yeah. Uh, you know, has built himself into the powerhouse
1: and a know-it-all with all the degrees. <laughs> right. <and> all <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go that far. I've had to talk to that 13-year-old a few times uh, to move me, yeah. move me out of that box. But truly, yeah, it's very interesting uh, how that that individual has spawned into the person I am today. So it's been fun. Well, well, I I acknowledge the uh, the depth
0: uh, of thought that you have, uh, the insight into people's to people, even though most mm-hmm. of them will never realize how much you've actually thought about them mm-hmm. in, in those process, uh, right. in the processes of, uh, for organizational change and things like that. Um, but, uh, I, I recognize that you've had to think deeply on all of those things and obviously had to go into deep places into mm-hmm. yourself just to be able to be there and show up for other people. And, uh, and so, right. Hey, th- thanks so much for coming on the show today.
1: No, thank you, Neil.
0: Pleasure to be here. All right, guys. Well, that's uh, leadership to wealth. And uh, no, wait, wait, wait. Before we go, before we go, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, yeah. Oh, there we go.
1: Um, yeah. So they can um, reach out to me on in, uh, Instagram and Twitter. My handles are Dr. B underscore intention um, as well. They can go as well. They can go to my website. That's roadsmith.com, r-h-o-d-e-s, s m-i-t-h.com. And there, they can find this podcast as well as others, um, my book, and other uh, testimonials and other places of uh, actually have information as well as information regarding my next step on my uh, group coaching. So, ooh, nice. Well, we're gonna have some of those links in uh, down below.
0: So please check those out. Uh, please check out Doctor Ian Brooks and uh, Doc. Thank you so much. And uh, it wouldn't be right. And if I didn't say, what's up, Doc? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we'll see you guys uh, on the next episode of Leadership 12. Thanks, guys, so much for watching.